Chapter 15 of Lover or Friend by Rosa Carey Mrs. Blake has her new gown. Thou art a girl of noble nature's crowning. A smile of thine is like an act of grace. Thou hast no noisome looks, no pretty frowning, like daily beauties of a vulgar race. When thou dost smile, a light is on thy face, a clear, cool kindliness, a lunar beam of peaceful radiance silvering o'er the stream of human thought with beauteous glory, not quite a waking truth nor quite a dream, a visitation, bright though transitory. Hartley Coleridge Audrey was much disappointed by the result of her conversation with her cousin. It was true that Michael had tried to efface the severity of his own words by remarking that a third interview might somewhat alter his opinion of the fascinating widow that he might even grow to like her in time. Audrey knew better. Michael had a certain genius of intuition. He made up his mind about people at once, and she had never known him to reverse his decision. As far as regarded the younger members of the Blake family, they would still be able to work happily together. Michael was certainly much interested in Kester. He had adopted him in the same manner as she had adopted Molly. It was a comfort also that he approved of Mr. Blake. Michael had spoken of him with decided approval, and without any stint or limit of praise. Nevertheless, she was well aware that Michael would willingly have restricted their intimacy, and that he saw with some reluctance her father's growing partiality for the young master. Audrey had only spoken the simple truth when she owned that Michael's approval was necessary to her perfect enjoyment of her friend. She might still maintain her own opinions of Mrs. Blake, Nevertheless, the first fine flavour of her pleasure had been destroyed by Michael's severe criticism. The delicate bloom had been impaired. She would hold fast to her new friend. She would even be kinder to her, but much of her enthusiasm must be locked in her own breast. "'What is the use of talking on a subject on which we should only disagree?' she said to him a week or two afterwards, when he had rejuked her playfully for not telling him something was only a trifling matter connected with Mrs. Blake. And when he heard that, Michael held his peace. He had been thrown constantly into Mrs. Blake's company since their first meeting, but as yet had not seen fit to change his opinions. But in spite of this little rift in her perfect harmony, Audrey thoroughly enjoyed the next month. She was almost sorry that the vacation was so near. It had been a very gay month. Relays of visitors, distant relations, or mere friends, had been invited to Woodcott and Hillside. Mrs. Ross's garden party had rivalled Mrs. Charrington's, and there had been a succession of picnics, driving parties, and small select dinners at the Hill Houses. But in spite of her many engagements, her afternoons on the cricket field, the tennis tournament, in which she and Cyril Blake won, and various other gaieties, Audrey had not neglected Molly. Twice a week she devoted an hour and a half to her pupil, when the music lesson was over, Audrey would read French with her, or correct her exercises. She was a very conscientious mistress, and would not allow Molly to waste any of her time in idle gossip. When she was putting away her books, Molly's voluble tongue would make amends for the enforced silence. "'Oh, Miss Ross!' she exclaimed one day. "'Do you know Cyril has given Mamma such a beautiful present? You'll never guess what it is!' Audrey prudently refrained from any guesses. Besides, she was still correcting Molly's translation. It is a black silk dress, a real beauty, as Mamma says. 
She has borrowed Miss Marshall's last copy of the Queen, and she means to make it up herself. Mamma is so clever. It is to have a long train, at least a moderately long train, and an open bodice, open in front, you know, with tula folds. Oh, I forget exactly, but Mamma explained it to me so nicely. It was very kind of your brother, observed Audrey gravely. For once, Molly was not checked. Yes, isn't he a darling for thinking of it? He went to Attenborough himself and chose it, and Mamma thought he was on the cricket field all this time. He got her a pair of long gloves, too. Cyril always thinks of everything. Mamma cried when she opened the parcel she was so pleased, and then Cyril laughed at her. The worst of it is... And here Molly's face lengthened a little. Kester will have to wait for his new suit, and the poor boy is so shabby. Cyril went up to his room to tell him so, because his leg was so painful, but he had gone to bed early. Of course, Kester said he didn't mind a bit, and would much rather that Mamma had her new gown and could go out and enjoy herself, but all the same it was a little hard for Kester, is it not? I don't think boys care about their clothes quite so much as girls do. Oh, but Kester does. He is almost as particular as Cyril. He does love to have everything nice, and I know he is ashamed of that old jacket. He has outgrown it too, and the sleeves are so short, and now he is so much with Captain Burnett he feels it all the more. Oh, do you know, Miss Ross, interrupting herself, Captain Burnett is going to drive Kester to Braille in his dog-cart. That will be very nice. But, Molly, you really must leave off chattering. You have translated this sentence quite wrongly. This is not one bit the sense. And Molly did at last consent to hold her tongue. Audrey took her mother into her confidence that afternoon as they were dining together, and told her the whole story about the black silk dress. Mrs. Ross was much interested. How very nice of him, she said in just the sympathetic tone that Audrey expected to hear. I said from the first that I liked Mr. Blake. I told your father so. He is a good son. I am not a bit surprised that his mother dotes on him. I am sure I should if he were my son and Mrs. Ross heaved a gentle little sigh under her lace mantle. She knew her husband had ardently desired a son, and until Michael's troubles had made him almost an inmate of the house, there had been a certain void and unfulfilled longing in Dr. Ross's breast. Not that he ever spoke of such things, but his wife knew him so well. Perhaps one day he will have a grandson, she thought, for her motherly imagination loved to stretch itself into the future. Don't you think we might ask Mrs. Blake to dinner next week, when your cousin Rose is here? She observed presently. Rosie will be charmed with her, and we could get the Cardells to meet her, and perhaps the vicar and Mrs. Boyle. You know they have not been to dine with us for a long time. Very well, mother, I have not the slightest objection, returned Audrey, who had in fact been leading up to this. I suppose you'll ask Gage, too. Oh, of course, for Mrs. Ross never considered any party complete without the presence of her eldest daughter. We must find out which day will suit her best. I do not believe Percival will let her come, returned Audrey calmly. He says she is going out too much and tiring herself dreadfully. I heard him tell her that he meant to be more strict with her for the future. Dear Percival, how good he is to her. I always told your father to make her an excellent husband. Your father was not a bit enthusiastic at first. He liked Percival and thought him an exceedingly able man, but he never did think anyone good for his girls. You'll find him hard to please when your turn comes, Audrey. My turn will be long in coming, she replied lightly. Well, if Percival proves himself a tyrant, whom do you mean to have engage his place? And then they resumed the subject of the dinner party. Things turned out, as Audrey predicted. Mr. Harcourt would not allow his wife to accept her mother's invitation. She's been overexerting herself and must keep quiet, he said to his mother-in-law when he next saw her at Hillside. I tell her that unless she is prudent and takes things more quietly, 
she will not be fit for her journey to Scotland, and then all our plans will be upset. For a charming arrangement had been made for the summer vacation. Dr. Russ had taken a cottage in the Highlands for his family, and Mr. Harcourt had secured a smaller one, about half a mile off, for himself and his wife. Michael was to form part of the Russ household, and during the last week or two he and Audrey had been putting their heads together over a benevolent scheme for taking Kester. There was a spare room in their cottage, and Mrs. Ross had asked Audrey if she would like one of her cousins to accompany them. Audrey had hesitated for that moment. Molly had been in her thoughts, but when she hinted at this to Michael, he had said somewhat decidedly that, in his opinion, Kester ought to be the one to have the treat. It would be company for me, too, he added, when you and your father go on your fishing expeditions, and he will not be a bad third, either, when you honour us with your company. Audrey had a great wish to take Molly. She thought how the girl would enjoy those long rambles across the purple moors, but she was open to reason. As Michael had pointed out to her, Kester certainly needed the change more than Molly. It would be good for Michael to have a companion when she and her father and Percival went on one of their long expeditions. The boy had been drooping sadly of late. The heat tried him, and as Audrey knew, Biddy's homely dishes seldom tempted his sickly appetite. Mr. Harcourt was not aware of this little plan. When he uttered his marital protest, Geraldine looked at her mother with a sort of resigned despair. You hear what Percy says, mother? I suppose you must ask somebody else in my place. But I am not going without you, returned her husband good-naturedly. Your mother would not want me, my dear, under those circumstances. We will stay at home, like Darby and Joan, by our own Ingleside. Oh, then you can ask the Drummonds, went on Geraldine in a relieved voice. Audrey ought to have reminded you of them, but she seems to think only of the Blakes. I suppose you'll be obliged to ask Mr. Blake too, mother. Yes, certainly, my dear. Mrs. Blake would not like to come without her son. It would be a large pity, but... Well, it cannot be helped, I suppose, but Percy and I think it is rather a pity. Here Geraldine gave a slight cough, warned by a look from her husband. What is a pity, my dear? Oh, it does not matter. At least Percy does not wish me to speak. Geraldine is rather like the dog in the manger, interrupted Mr. Harcourt, because I will not let her come to your dinner party. She would rather you did not have one at all. That is it, isn't it, Jerry? Mrs. Ross smiled benevolently at this little Sally. She liked to hear her son-in-law's jokes. She never joked Geraldine herself, and so she seldom saw that girlish blush that was so becoming. When she had taken her leave, Geraldine said to her husband, Why did you just stop me now when I was dropping that hint about Mr. Blake? Because I thought the hint premature, my dear, he returned dryly, and because it is not our place to warn Mr. Blake off the premises. He is not the first young man, and I do not expect he will be the last to admire Audrey. But, Percy, I am quite sure that Mr. Blake is too handsome and too attractive altogether to be a harmless admirer. Poor nonsense, my love. Don't let your imagination run away with you. Audrey is too sensible a girl to let herself fall in love with a young fellow like Blake. Now shall I go on with our book? For that day, Geraldine was considered an invalid, and as her husband thought fit to indulge and make much of her, she was not so sure she disliked their passing in disposition, any more than Mr. Harcourt disliked playing Darby to his handsome Joan. The dinner party passed off well, and Mrs. Blake looked so lovely in her new gown that she made quite a sensation, and the vicar observed to his wife afterwards that she was the nicest and most agreeable woman he had met for a long time.
Mrs. Boyle received this eulogium a little coldly. She was a fat, dumpy little person, with a round, good-natured face that had once been pretty. Bernard might admire Mrs. Blake, she said to herself. She was the sort of woman men always raved about, but for her part she was not sure she admired her style. But she had the rare magnanimity to keep her opinions to herself. Mrs. Boyle never contradicted her husband after the peevish manner of some wives. The term was drawing to a close now, and Marley's face lengthened a little every day. Audrey had mooted the scheme to her father during a walk they had together, and Dr. Ross, who was one of the most benevolent and kindly of men, had at once given his consent, and had promised to speak to Michael, who carried it through with a high hand. Great was the rejoicing in the Blake household. Poor Castor had turned red and white by turns, and could hardly speak a word, so intense was his surprise. But Audrey, who saw the lad's agony of embarrassment, assured him that there was no need for him to speak, and that everything was settled. Cyril was almost as embarrassed when he came to thank them that evening. "'I've never heard um, of such kindness in my life,' he said eagerly when he found Audrey alone, for the others were all in the garden, as she told them. "'I will go to them directly. Of course I must speak to Captain Burnett. I hear it is his thought. Am I interrupting you?' Looking at her open desk. "'May I stay a moment?' Certainly, if you like. But Audrey did not resume her seat. She stood by the lamp, its crimson shade, casting ruddy gleams over her white dress. She had coiled her hair loosely. Audrey was given to dressing herself hurriedly, and one long plait had become unfastened. It looked so smooth and brown against her white neck. At such moments, Audrey certainly looked pretty. Perhaps Cyril thought so, for he looked at her long and earnestly. I hardly know how to thank you all he went on almost abruptly. My mother feels the same. It is such a weight of my mind. You know I'm going to Cornwall myself. One of our Keeble men has invited me. His father has a nice place near Truro. That will be a pleasant change for you, she observed sympathetically. Oh, I always turn up trumps, he replied brightly. Last Christmas, and again at Easter, I had heaps of invitations. I was only bothering myself about Kester. He looked so seedy, you know, and it seemed such hard lines for him, poor boy to see me go off and enjoy myself. Well, you see, Kester means to enjoy himself too. Don't I know that? He is a lucky fellow. And Cyril sighed. A good, honest sigh it was too, for Audrey heard it. Just fancy, seven weeks in paradise. Well, it is very lovely there, she answered demurely, and then she discovered the stray lock and pinned it up hastily. Oh, I was not meaning the place, though of course everyone knows Bremer has its advantages. I think one's happiness depends more on the society one has. Don't you think so, too, Miss Ross? I dare say you're right. Well, we shall have my sister and her husband, and Kester and Captain Binnett, so we shall be a nice party. Oh, yes, of course. Captain Binnett is going, returned Cyril in a dubious tone. Yes, and I suppose you think he is lucky, too. And there was a gleam of fun in Audrey's eyes. Not more so than usual. The gate of paradise is never shut on Captain Binnett and though Cyril laughed as he made this little speech, there was no expression of mirth in his eyes. But Audrey chose to consider it a joke. If you talk in this manner, I shall think you envy Kester his treat. I'm afraid I do envy him, Miss Ross, if Kester and I could only change places. He checked himself as though he had said too much, and turned to the window. You will find them all on the circular bench, she said, sitting down to her desk again. When I have finished my letter, I will join you. And Cyril took the hint. I wish he would not say such things, but of course he is only joking, thought Audrey. 
but in her heart she knew he was not joking. Could she be ignorant that on all possible occasions Mr. Blake followed her like a shadow, a very quiet, unobtrusive shadow, but nevertheless he seemed always near? Could she be blind to the wistful looks that seemed to watch her on all occasions, and that interpreted her every wish? Perhaps no one else noticed them. Audrey fervently hoped not, unless it were his mother. And here Audrey reddened at the remembrance of certain vague hints and innuendos that had latterly made her uncomfortable and hindered her from going to the grey cottage. Perhaps I am too friendly with him. I do not check him sufficiently, she thought. But he has never said such things before. He ought not. I must not allow it. What would Gage or Michael say? Dear old Michael, how excited he is about our Scotch trip. He says he shall be so pleased to have my undivided attention again. I wonder, have I been less nice to Michael lately? He has certainly seemed more dull than usual. I will make up for it. I will indeed. Michael shall never be dull if I can help it. I mean to devote myself to him. And then Audrey took up her pen with a sigh. Was she really glad the term was so nearly over? It had been such a nice summer. Of course she would enjoy Scotland, with all her own people round her, and there would be Caster. Caster would write to his brother sometimes, and of course there would be letters in reply. That would be pleasant. Oh yes, everything was delightful. And with this final thought, Audrey set herself resolutely to work, and finished her letter just in time to see Cyril take his leave. He had waited for her, with her utmost impatience, but when Mrs. Ross complained of chilliness, and proposed to return to the house, he had no excuse for lingering any longer, and Michael, with some alacrity, and accompanied him to the gate.